Joshua chapter 7. Um, we, we went through Joshua chapter 7 last week. Um, I've kind of been stuck right here in this, this section of the scriptures. And so I want to apologize because I know there's some of you that have heard the message now already twice. This is going to be number three. And so I'm going to try not to um, make the same message a third time. But I, I think this this section and this this part of what happens with this fellow Aiken is so important to our church. And because tonight is a night of, of um, communion, and, and as you guys know, part of what we do in communion is, is a time to get our hearts right with the Lord. It's a time, again, as we, we kind of, in a, in a corporate setting, try to get alone with the Lord. You know, and that's what we try to do in worship. You know, we're in a group, but we try to get alone with the Lord in that group. So, you know, I like to close my eyes when I worship because it helps me do that. It helps me get alone with the Lord in a group of people. And so when we do, when we do communion tonight, um, two things, as you guys know, Jesus taught that communion is a time. And he said, whenever you do it, do it in what? remembrance of me. And so we're, we're supposed and first, as we receive communion tonight, that we're to do it in remembrance of Jesus. It was a tremendous price that he paid on the cross for your sins and my sins. And so we want to do it in remembrance of him. And then secondly, Paul tells us in Corinthians, he's speaking to the Corinthian church who was doing what we're doing here tonight. They were receiving communion as a family of believers and they were doing it in a, in a wrong way. And Paul comes in and he, he's correcting them and teaching them about what, what, what God wants, what God expects in a church setting for a communion service. And, and Paul tells them that communion, he said that for this reason, you have the sick among you. Literally, people were physically getting sick because they were they were not coming to the, the, the Lord's table in a worthy manner. And that this was not just a rote ceremony or ritual that 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 has no meaning that in God's eyes, it was um, uh, it was meaningful as a marriage vow or a value take or something that you do. That's that's meaningful in your life, that communion in your church walk, that it, it that Paul is saying that it, it does mean something and that God is watching and it is important. You guys are doing it wrong. And for that reason that they're, they're sick among you, literally people were physically sick and, and they were coming in and during communion services, they were getting drunk and, and they were not, you know, catering to the poor and they would have agape services that they would have food and, you know, they just, they just were doing it all wrong. And so Paul says communion is a time of self-examination. So first, as Jesus taught in remembrance of me, and then secondly, as Paul gives commentary on it, that, that we're to get out that mirror and look in the mirror and just ask God to check our heart. If there's sin in your life, if there's something going on in your heart that you need to repent of, that you need to get right of. And again, repentance is a conduit, right? That, that, that is continually open and, and, and confession is not something you do once a year, you know, once a month, kind of with the Jewish uh, mentality that, that, you know, on Yom Kippur, you, you know, you, you balance out your, your good and your bad, but, but really biblically confession and repentance is, something that you're agreeing that the action that you're doing, the sin that you're committing is breaking fellowship between you and the Lord, that it's harming your family, it's harming yourself, that it's a sin against God. And just, you know, confession means saying the same or repeating the same. And so God's word says that it's sin. And so you're agreeing with that, that it's sin in your life and, and to get it off your chest really and, and to confess it. And so something going on is a time, you know, where Paul says that we, we want to get that right. And you, you can be right with God right now. There, there's nothing there. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your, you know, you can be right with God right now. And that's what communion is about. It's about taking that opportunity to, to get right with God. And as if we do it often enough and we, we live in that place, it's a place of being right. So chapter seven, um, 
And as you guys know, as we keep Joshua in context, Joshua is um, a book about spirit-filled living, right? So the, the, the Jordan crossing or the Jordan River, as we take the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, and we begin in Egypt as they're in bondage, and Egypt is a type of the world, and they leave Egypt as like becoming born again. They cross over the Red, uh, the Red Sea in water baptism. They spend 40 years in the wilderness in sanctification and Christian living and in growing. And then they've reached the promised land and, and they go into the Jordan River, the second water crossing or second baptism, which represents in the life of the believer, your life and my life today, this side of the cross is that that third experience with the Holy Spirit of being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then and then, as you guys know, the book of Joshua is a book of conquest. It's a book of battles. It's a book of uh, of defeats and of, of victories. And, and interestingly enough, chapter seven and eight record the only um, defeat that the nation of Israel will face in all of the conquests that they're going to face in the land of Canaan as they go through. And as you guys know, the command of God was to kill every man, woman, child, animal, dog, baby, little girl, little boy. Um, the command was, was to completely eradicate the Canaanites as they went through the land. And so we've thoroughly unpacked that, that topic and, and the justification of it and all that we won't get into today. So um, again, chapter seven, as you know, begins with the big butt. Okay. Do these pants, my butt look big? Well, this is the big butt. So, but as the children of Israel, they had this amazing victory in chapter six. And it says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Jada took the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho at Ai, which is beside Beth Avon on the east side of Bethel and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3000 men go up and attack Ai and do not weary the people there for the people of Ai are few. And so about 3000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And Joshua tore his clothes and he fell on the earth to his face before the ark of the Lord until evening and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. And so um, the, the ark of the Lord that Joshua fell before was where? It was in the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle they would have had, it would have um, traveled with them. And so um, did Joshua enter into the, the Holy of Holies as he fell on his face before the ark of the Lord? And um, you know, the Ark of the, of, the, of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant had been taken out of the Holy of Holies as it marched around Jericho, right? And, and maybe the, there, was a, there was a resting place or there was a place when the tent was being um, constructed and deconstructed that the Ark of the, of the Covenant would, would not have gone into that Holy of Holies, that place where only the high priest would go one day a year on Yom Kippur and, and make atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. And, and so, but Joshua there, he falls on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. And again, as we pointed out in, in this message, um, and I'm going to get on to Achan. I'm going to spend a little more time on Achan tonight because I, I really rushed through it last week. And, and, and I want to really talk about Achan. But, um, but first of all, as Joshua goes in, 
the, 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 the main problem is that Joshua didn't go to the priest and seek counsel of the Lord and ask the, Lord, the priest to seek God over the decision of how they were going to attack Ai. Now, God had already said, I will give you every place that the sole of your footsteps I have given to you. So it was a promise and it's going to be a promise that's fulfilled as they go through the book of Joshua and conquest after conquest, after conquest, after victory, after victory, as they take new land and new territory, which amounts to to modern day Israel today. And 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 um, it, it was promised. But yet there was still a need. There was still a, 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 a desire, a call of God that in every decision, every strategic battle along the way that they would just pause and ask God for direction, ask God for wisdom. And, and the same is true in your life. The same is repeated in Abraham. The same is repeated in King David. And, and for us, it's just this little reminder in this lesson that in everything that we do, if we'll just only take that little pause and seek God first. And Joshua failed to do that. And then like, like Joshua, how, how do we react? Then when something goes bad, now we're ready to pray. Now we're ready to go to the Lord and, you know, why God did this happen? Well, because you're dummy and you didn't come talk to me. I'd have told you to go the other way. I'd have told you to stay away from it. I'd have told you, you know, I tried to warn you. You didn't listen. I was yelling at you. Hey, 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 wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. You wouldn't listen and, and, and go to the Lord first. And so, so Joshua was going to come to the Lord and he's broken. You know, they, 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 they it says that, um, 40,000 men prepared for battle crossed over the Jordan river. And so you think of the nation of Israel and the estimate is about 2 million that, that left Egypt. And, and who knows how many are, are, are crossed over the Jordan. If You know, the, a lot of them died right in the wilderness, but they had. Did the numbers sustain themselves? Did they grow? Did the nation of Israel imagine they grew in the wilderness going over? And, and you think 36 people, may, maybe it doesn't feel like in a battle. But yet Joshua's heart is broken and grieved over it. 36 real lives that were lost. And he falls on his face, as you guys know, and he begins to tear his clothes and is, is an is a Old Testament idiom for repent and, and to be broken. And Joshua said in verse, in verse 7, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before the enemies and the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land? They'll find out. They'll hear about it and they'll surround us and they'll cut us off from from the from the earth. And what will you do for your great name at that point, Lord? And so Joshua is is broken. And, and the interesting thing to me is how quickly Joshua slipped back into this this lack of faith and this this um, depression uh, after the victory and victory and promise and promise and Joshua, who is a, um, you know, a leader and a soldier and a, and a, and a, and a mighty man of valor and how quickly with one defeat, he, he begins to think that the entire world around him is crumbling. And it's so key to us. And, and, um, so the Lord says to Joshua in verse 10, very lovingly and very gently, get up, get up, sweetie. It's okay. Probably not. Probably not in this case. Probably the Lord is is feeling like maybe we feel as we look at this and, you know, and, and we can read chapter eight and read chapter six and five and we can see what's going to happen and what's already happened. And we kind of want to tell Joshua in the same way, you know, you, you get up, man, you, you get up, get up. And and again, in your life, in my life, 
We, we want, we, we need at times the Lord to coddle us. We want people in our lives to coddle us. But sometimes the problem that we have is, is too much coddling and too much, too much of, of and not enough um, get up, stand up, arise, fight, work, you know, that, that, that call. And, and God gives Joshua, who's a soldier and who probably can handle it. And he just says, get up, man. He says, get up. Why do you lie this on your face? Get up. We got work to do. And then he tells them what's happened. Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I command for they have even taken some of the accursed things and both stolen and deceived. And they have also put among their own stuff. And therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. And so there was this call of God to destroy the accursed things among them. And so that's a call, the same call that God puts on your life and my life today. It's the same call that I want to give you and give us as a church as we receive communion today, that you would destroy the accursed things among you. What, what is it in your life that's accursed? What is it in your life that God has told you is sin and destruction? And, and that as you continue that practice, there, there's a natural result to that practice in your life. And listen, it, you can't be like Joshua here and you continue to, to practice and to hold on to something in your life that's accursed. And then, and then you receive accursed results. And then what do you do? You want to blame God. You want to be mad at God that you're, 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 you're living under some accursed um, um, situations. You're living under some accursed results and there's, there's, you're missing blessing in your life. And, and we look to God like, oh, you know, why don't you love me? Like, you know, if you love me, I would be blessed like Pastor Chris is. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, that, that there's something wrong. And, and yet there's, there's, there's a practical um, reality to the accursed things in your life. And God says, listen, we're not going to move forward until you deal with the accursed things in your life. And, and it has nothing to do, don't get it twisted, really. It has nothing to do with the love of God in your life. It has nothing to do with the presence of God in your life. I mean, Paul is very, very clear, right? In Romans, in one of our favorite, favorite verses, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus, love of our Lord, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and he gives you 26 adjectives to remind you, neither height nor depth, nor things above, nor things below, nor created things, nor, you know, things past, things present, things future. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. The psalmist even tells you that if you make your bed in Sheol, that God is with you. And so it's not a matter of God's love or compassion over your life. It's a practical call of Christian living, the same thing you would give to your kids, the same kind of advice, the same kind of discipline that you would put over people in your life that you love because you do those things so that they make better decisions for themselves. And there is a time where God says to you, listen, get up, get rid of the accursed things in your life. And this is the call here. And this is a famous section of scripture that we all live by. And we, we title it sin in the camp. There's problems and we're not moving forward because there's sin in the camp. You know, one of the things that, that we have here as a church is, is a, you know, and every church is kind of surrounded with a vision statement. And, and one of the things that, that as, a, as a pastor, as a leader, um, I have to communicate that vision to our church so that we can catch that vision together. Because I can't accomplish that vision without you. And, and, and really, our division is to know Jesus, make him known. Our division is our, our vision, not division. You guys have enough of that without me. I'm just kidding. Um, we, our, our vision that we want to catch corporately 
it is to share the love of Jesus in our county, in our community. It is to be a community that lives, loves, and looks like Jesus. And, and that, that we want to be a lighthouse. And we want to share the love of, of Christ. And we want to be evangelistic. And we want to get the word out and teach the word. And so, you know, I know that that vision is growing. And if I kept it simple, it's easier to follow. But basically to share our faith. Basically to be a, 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 a people, a group that's, that's making disciples that make disciples. To know Jesus and make him known. That's what we put on our t-shirts that, that John has on on the back. To know Jesus and make him known it is the simplest way that, um, you know, we can put that. And so we, we cannot accomplish that as a community of people if there is, Lydia, tell them, sin in the camp. Okay, if there's sin in the camp, then then and it's not I mean, it starts maybe with my sin and and my life. But ultimately, it's bigger than that. It's much bigger than me. It's all of us together. And if we will listen as a small community of believers, if we'll buy into the idea that we want to be a lighthouse, we want to see Jesus win Tooele County. We're less than one percent evangelical Christian in Tooele County. We want to see that number turned on its head. We want to see this less than 1% take Tooele County for the gospel, take Tooele County for the love and with the power and, and the kingdom of God would prevail in Tooele County. But we're not going to accomplish that as a people until we deal with the sin in our camp, across the board. And so for each one of us, you know, Jesus was never interested in crowds. He, he was constantly sending big crowds away. Isn't the whole purpose of church and to, you know, draw a big crowd and, you know, yeah, we want, we want to make a big impact, but sometimes we can draw a big crowd for the entertainment purposes and folks that really aren't sold out for Jesus. And, you know, folks that really, you know, when, when you don't serve them hamburgers or the bacon runs out, they don't come back. And, and so, you know, I'd much rather have a smaller group of people that are fully on for Jesus that are dealing with sin in the camp, that want to move forward, that want to share the vision of, of reaching Tooele County, of disciples making disciples, and people that don't just want to be um, sloppy agape and easy believism, and I just come and say a prayer, and then I live my life however the heck I want to live, and, and I'm good, I'm going to heaven, and, you know, that, that that's, that's not us, that, that we're, we're disciples. And so um, part of that for us as a community, and part of this message that's really important to me is um, for each one of us, to deal with the sin in our camp. What, what is hidden under your tent today? What, what in your life is the accursed thing that's, 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 that's giving birth to, to accursed results in your life that maybe then you're like Joshua and getting on your face and whining about it. And God might say to you, get up and go, and go find those accursed things under your tent and deal with them. And, and then we'll move forward and then, and then we'll bless and then we'll, well, we have to deal with them. And in verse 13, again, God, God um, reminds or he, he repeats himself and he says, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves. What does sanctify mean? Sanctify means set apart, okay, to sanctify or set yourself apart, okay? We're set apart. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so sanctify is to set apart, set apart yourself. The word holy carries the same type of condemnation, con, con, connotation as um, sanctified, that we're set apart, we're holy. 
different. We don't do the same things that the world does. When you have a barbecue at your house, if it looks exactly like the barbecue at your neighbor's house who doesn't know Jesus, then maybe you're not living a sanctified life or a holy life or a life that is set apart and on fire unto the Lord. And and so God says, sanctify the people, get them ready, set them apart unto me. In, in verse 13, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel, and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now, now, who, who could they not stand against with the sin in the camp? The enemies. Okay? But it says here in 13 that they couldn't stand against the enemies. But I want to tell you, that this is the only recorded defeat in the book of Joshua, a whole book of conquest. And it didn't come from the outside. Where did it come from? It came from within. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that he will give us victory, that whom he sets free will be free indeed. And you face all kinds of exterior um, spiritual battles in your life. You you know, again, all of the the pictures, right, of the Old Testament, including these, are are, are pictures of spiritual battles that we're going to face. We go to heaven one day and, and you get to heaven and... You know, the, 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 the greats of the Bible are going to be there. And so let's say you're, you're, you're walking down, um, I don't know, Hallelujah Street of Gold in heaven. And, and you see coming at you, King David. And yeah, you're so excited. Wow, there's King David. And you stop him on the road and you're like, hey, look, I just got to ask you, like, it's so exciting. Like, hey, what was that like when you fought King David, like when you fought Goliath? You were just a boy. How in the world did you have the chutzpah? Where, where did it come from? Where, where did you get the, 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 the strength to go, uh, go fight Goliath? And maybe King David would look at you and say, do you, do you mean to tell me you've, you've never had to face something really difficult in your life? You've never had to fight a giant in your life? Maybe I have. And David would maybe remind you of, 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 of a Goliath, a spiritual giant that you faced in your life and that you had to have the same energy and the same chutzpah and the same faith that it took David to go out as a young boy and face Goliath in his life because Goliath is a picture of a spiritual battle that we're going to face on this side of the cross that, um, that, that you and I might face. Maybe you see Abraham and you ask Abraham, how, how did you... How did you take Isaac and go up on a mountain, the only son, the son you waited for your whole life, and, 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 and you full well believed in your heart that you were going to kill him when you got on top of the mountain? How, how could you do it? And maybe again, Abraham would remind you, have you never sacrificed anything for the Lord? Have you never had to make some tough decisions in your life for God? And he'd point out to you a couple of places where you had to do things that were similar in your life just not physically with a sun and a knife or not physically with a stone and a, and a, a literal nine foot six giant that, that you and I, we face those, those giants and those, those difficult decisions on this side of the cross. And you know, who knows, who knows maybe when, when, when you're walking down hallelujah Boulevard and you see David coming at you before you have time, he stops and goes, Oh my gosh, look who it is. And he runs up to you and is like, wow, how did you do it? We were watching you from heaven. And how did you, how did you face that battle in your life? And there's something that, you know, that he sees as 
as monumentous as him facing Goliath as we see him here in the scriptures. In verse 14, it says, um, In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. Skip down to verse 17. It says, And he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family. And then in verse 19, it says, And Joshua said to Achan, so he singles them down, he finally finds the culprit. And Joshua said to Achan, Now, do you think this guy was hurting? Is that why his name was Achan? Because he was hurting. My son. I I love Joshua's heart here in verse 19. You know, Joshua tore his clothes. Joshua just lost 36 of his men that he loved. And and he knows Achan is responsible. And and yet he does have a heart of compassion here. And he has a, a real sincerity that he still cares for the person of Achan. And, and, and as he, in the language here, you can just see the heart, the heart of this leader, Joshua. And he says, I beg you, man. He says, give glory to the Lord God and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. When I saw the spoils and they weren't spoils, God's already told you they were cursed things, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted, I took, I hid, I, I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid them in my, um, in my tent with the, with the silver under it. And so, so this is the progression of sin in verse 21. It's, it's true in your life and my life. Talked about it last week and I'm going to talk about it again. I saw, I coveted, I took. And I hid. And that's basically what you do with sin in your life. And Joshua sent messengers and they ran to his tent and there was hid in his tent with the silver under it. And they took from the midst of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and all the children of Israel took before them. And Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment and the wedge of gold. So the dude basically got a really nice Babylonian garment. I don't know what that's equivalent today. Sometimes I say an Armani suit. One of the guys in men's group Sunday night said, oh, a Gucci suit. So we use Gucci on Sunday night. But so he's got this Gucci suit. He's got some big diamond earrings. And he's got one of them Flava Flav, you know, over gold necklaces with a big clock on it made out of diamonds. And so he's got all this, um, you know, this bling, the silver, the gold, the nuggets, the 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 Gucci suit. And so Achan steals those things. He saw them. He coveted. He took them and he hid them. Same way sin works in your lives, you know. For me, I, you know, I go into the gun store and I see something and then I covet and and then I buy it and then I go home and I hide it and, you know, and then and then when my wife does see it, I, I say, oh, that old thing, I've had that forever. And then she asked me what I, what I bought, what I paid for it. And God knows that if something happened to me and she sold all the guns for what I told her I paid for him, we'd be in big trouble because, <laughs> you know, and um, so that so this this idea of that, you know, that he takes these things. And so um, verse 25, why have you troubled us thus? Thus the Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned him with fire after and had stoned stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger and therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger against the nation of Israel. A um, couple things to note. Um, number one is that Achan's sin did not only affect him. It affected 36 men of the nation of Israel that lost their lives. It affected his daughter that was stoned to death as a result of his sin. 
It affected his son that was stoned to death as a result of his sin. It affected his wife that was stoned to death as a result of his sin. And so it affected the people that he loved the most. And listen, your sin doesn't affect your enemies. Your sin affects the people you love the most, the people that love you. And then tragically, his sin affected his innocent tent. Because they burned his tent too. I don't know why, but it's mentioned. That poor tent didn't do nothing. And Joshua and them, they burned it when they were done. And now um, we have in, in, in the first word of chapter 7 is what? The big but. And the first word of, of chapter 8 is the now, the grand now, or the grand and, it says in the King James Version, and, or now. It's, it's, it's and now. It's like what now, right? Because as the Apostle Paul told us, we've been studying in Philippians, and one thing that Paul does is, is I forget those things that are behind. How far behind? Behind is behind. 30 seconds is behind. 10 minutes is behind. 15 minutes is behind. I forget those things that are behind, and I, and I press toward, or I press forward, I press toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, as I tell you guys all the time, is that we drive the car of life through the windshield, not the rearview mirrors. And when we don't go straight and, and we struggle and we get depressed and we get hard on ourselves if we look in the mirrors in the rearview. And God's, God's cool. God says, look, it's, forget what's behind you. You can't change it. And I love you. Let's move forward. There's a grand and. There's a grand now at the, at the beginning of verse, of verse of chapter 8. And God says, now that you've dealt with the sin, now that you've got right with me, let's move forward. And, and that's the amazing, listen, amazing blessing of walking with God that is a God of second chances, that is a God of love. Peter, you know, Jesus asked the disciples, how many times should you forgive? And Peter, who thought he was, you know, really going to impress Jesus, you know, he's like, well, the disciples, they might say like one or two or three or four, but seven times. And Jesus said, no, how about try 70 times seven? 490 times. And Jesus had done it for 490 years. He forgave the nation of Israel when they didn't observe the Sabbath until it was time that he wanted his 70 years of Sabbath back. And the Babylonians came in and took him captive because they owed the Lord 70 years. But for 490 years, and Jesus said 70 times seven, and, and we have a God of forgiveness. We have a God of second chances. And, and we have this grand and and this now that they're going to move forward. And the Lord said, chapter 8, um, to Joshua, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Do you know how many times God told Joshua that? I don't either, but it's a lot. It's enough. It's enough. And, and, and it, the whole, the chapter, the, the main verse of, of the book of Joshua is in 1, 8 and 9, right? Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed. Be of good courage, for I am with you. And now here we have this, this stumble, this, this problem in his life. And so God lovingly, gently um, encourages and reminds Joshua here, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And it's not like, you know, there's no like, hey, look, I already told you. You should remember what I said. He doesn't say, go back and read what I told you in chapter one. What I told you again multiple times in chapter one. But again, now we have the grand and the, the moving forward. The, the sin is now behind you. So let's go forward as a people. And, and as a reminder, listen, as we go forward, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. 
You know the problem, you guys? Listen, super problem. The thing that breaks my heart about religion and religious systems and folks that, that, that relate to God um, under any kind of, of, of religion or religious system is that there, there's always this idea among religious folks that, that, that God's mad at them. You know, and, and, and really when, when, you, when you live and you, you, you try to walk out a works-based religion or something where you're constantly trying to um, please God, you're, 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 you, they live in defeat. You know I, know, I know some folks that are wonderful, wonderful people that really, really love God and really you're trying to do what's right and are defeated and they're broken and they're leaving the churches that they're a part of because they just say, I, I'm just unworthy. I just can't seem to figure it out. And, and, and they're sincere. And my heart breaks for him. And, and, and again, the idea is that God is mad at him. And I want to tell you, God's not mad at you. My favorite example is, you know, I, I love, you know, the, the whole reason why, one of the reasons why, why Moses didn't get to enter the promised land or lead the people into the promised land was because he misrepresented God. And, and God told him Moses the first time to hit the rock and they wanted water. And the people were complaining. Moses was all pissed off. And God says, Moses, go and speak to the rock. And Moses, Moses goes back to, to speak to the rock as God told him. And he was angry and he looks at the people with a grunty voice and grumpy. And he says, must I smite this rock a second time? And he hits the rock with his staff and water comes out. And God pulls him off to the side. And he said, Moses, you misrepresented me today. And then the next line is so powerful. He says, God says to Moses, I'm not mad at the people. And, and you look at the, the scenario and you think, God's got every reason right now to be mad at the people. He should be mad at the people. I would be mad at the people. He would be justified in being mad at the people. But he goes to Moses and he, represents his, he reprimands his representative because his representative represented that God was mad at the people. And God tells Moses, listen, Moses, I'm not mad at the people. And, and it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of overwhelming. It's kind of like, oh, God, that, those are the reasons why we fall in love with God is because when we know he should be mad at us, when we know that we're wrong and that he's totally justified in being mad at us and we come to him and we feel like he should spank us. And, and, and instead he looks at us and he says, I'm not mad at you. I love you. That's hard. It'd be so much easier. He just say, Shh bend over, you know, like get out to the woodshed because you're getting a whooping. You can almost deal with it a little better. But when he just, just, just pours his love out upon you and you don't deserve it and, you know, you haven't earned it and, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's why the Bible says that it's the love of Jesus that constrains the people. It's the love of God that changes lives. It's the love of God that constrains us. It's the love of God it's not, it's not the rules. It's not the regulations. It's not the discipline. It's not the religion. And heart, again, breaks for folks that, that live in a way. And I, I don't want you guys to live that way. And that's why I'm sharing this. I don't ever want you to live in a way that you think God's mad at you. God's not mad at you. No more than um, maybe you would be when, when your kids do something that disappoints you. Right. There's there's a way to define that. Yeah, you can be um, upset with them or you can be not happy about the result in their life. But, you know, you're not you're not disowning them. You're not, you know, ready to, to completely get rid of them in your lives. You're you know, there's going to be a discipline and God disciplines, but he, he's not mad at the folks. And then um, he says in the and after Joshua, do not be afraid or dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and somebody give me the next word. Do what? Come on, y'all like you mean it. 
Arise. Say it like a pirate. Arise. Say it like a preacher. Arise. I think that's my next tattoo. Arise. Arise. I just love that concept. I love that biblical word, arise. Uh, arise. And you see, it, you see it throughout, woven throughout the Bible. Old and New Testament, arise. And whenever I see that word, I... I just, you know, it's just like a, you know, a general leading his men into battle. And, you know, men, we're going to go out and fight today. And, and I'm going to lead you from the front. And, you know, not all of us are going to come home today. Men will die in this room from this battle. But, men, I'm going to lead you. And we're going to go out and fight. And, and we're going to go out and conquer men. And, and, yes, some of us will not come home today. But we're going to fight together, arm in arm, hand in hand. Now, men, arise. And go, you know, it's like this, this call to war, this call to battle, this call to step up. And so he tells Joshua, arise, go up to Ai and see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people in his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you do to Jericho and its king only its spoils and its cattle and its cattle. You shall take as booty. That's another word I like. <laughs> What's wrong with liking spoils of war? Pirate's treasure. Who doesn't like pirate's treasure? I have a flag in my, in my, I used to keep it in my bedroom, but I moved it into the, I moved it into the garage now, but it's a pirate's flag and it has like a pirate ship on it. It says, surrender the booty. <laughs> it's true. It's pirate's treasure. I love pirate's treasure. You guys are getting like, your minds are in the gutter, not mine. For yourselves, lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua, a lot like Arise, he did what? He arose and he went to all the people. Now listen, um, the the spoils of war or the booty that, that God was intending to give to the nation of Israel and to the army in the book of Joshua from this battle, from Ai on, Conquest after conquest after conquest. This verse number two is repeated before every battle from this point forward. All of the spoils would go then to the nation of Israel and to the soldiers into their personal bank accounts, into their houses, into their tents. Okay, so the first battle in Jericho, God said all of the accursed things, the Babylonian, the Gucci suit, the, the, the flavor Flav over gold watch and necklace, burn those things. But the gold and silver, bring those into the house of God and dedicate those to the temple. And so everything from the battle of Jericho was to be brought into church and given to the offering um, to go into the house of the Lord to, to, to meet the needs of the house of the Lord. And, and the people didn't know it, but then the second battle and the third battle and the fourth battle and the 26th battle and the 30th battle and the 35th battle, all of that stuff, they personally got to keep. Listen, these guys became pretty wealthy through the book of Joshua, through the conquest. They had all that they needed and then some. God's intent was to make them very wealthy. What was God's intent for Achan's life? What was God's intent for Achan's life? God was going to make him wealthy. God was God going to hold back from Achan the things that he needed or wanted? Absolutely not. Had Achan only waited one battle, he would have got to keep everything. And the irony of sin, irony of sin in the camp in your life, in my life, 
Do, do you realize the next day, if Aiken showed up in camp with a Gucci suit and a big gold chain on his neck and some big diamonds in his ears, you know how that would have went down? Aiken's walking through camp the next day after battle. He's got a new Gucci suit, and his friends are like, hey, man, that's a pretty nice suit. Where'd you get that? Oh, this old thing? Yeah, I had it. I've never seen you wear that before. And those diamond earrings. Wow. Where'd you get those? Oh, you know. Like he couldn't. There's no way he could, he could wear that gold chain or the suit. He, he couldn't even use those things. He had to hide them under his tent where they would have stayed. Couldn't enjoy them. So the sin in your life, the sin in my life, that, 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 that we bring in a curse upon ourselves, upon our family, upon our wives, upon our children, we don't even get to enjoy it. We don't even get to use it. We don't even get to show it off. And then why do we do it? You know, oftentimes why we do it, why we have that sin in our lives is because we think that if we don't do it for ourselves, God will never do it for us. If I don't just give myself those things, God's going to keep me, keep me down the whole, my whole life. God's going to keep me oppressed from having fun and doing the things I like and having the things I want. And God doesn't want nothing good for me. So I'll just do it myself. You know what the Bible says about sin? The Bible says that there's a passing pleasure in sin. Is sin fun? Absolutely. Sin is fun. Yeah, there's a cost, right? But if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, right? Okay, it's not like, you know, I don't have to worry about any of you guys on a regular basis, like snorting wasabi dust. You seen those morons on, sorry, funky YouTube video I watched. This guy snorts wasabi dust, pours Tabasco in his eyes. Walks on a, you know, he's walking on a, a bed of, of mouse traps. Like, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about too much of that stuff, right? But, the, but there, is, there is a pleasure in sin. There, there is a pleasure in the things that you and I struggle with. If there wasn't, we, we wouldn't do them. There's a reason why we sin. But the Bible says there's, passing ple- there's, there's, there's a passing pleasure in your sin. And then listen. The things that, that Satan gives you, which is that sin, that passing pleasure, there, there's an invoice. There, there's a bill that Satan gives you that you pay for. The things that God gives you are free. They're free indeed. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of, uh, above. And, and so when God gives you a gift, he doesn't charge you for it later. But everything that Satan gives you, every sin in your life that you think you're enjoying for a season... Satan eventually comes with the bill, and, and, and sometimes that bill is costly. For Achan, what was the invoice? What did it say on the invoice when Achan got his bill for that sin? Not only for him, right? If it was just for Achan, you could almost like not feel so bad about it. Like if, if for me, like if, if my sin only affected me, then you could almost say like, well, you, you make a decision. You have to deal with, with the sin that you that you commit and... You know, it's up to you. If you want to live that way and you want to pay that price, then who am I to judge you? But that's not the way it works. The problem is the sin didn't affect just Achan. How old was his daughter? Bible doesn't say. Give me an age. How old's your daughter? 15 years old. You think they stoned her first or Achan first? Let's assume they stoned her first. She's innocent. Aiken was the one who sinned for a Gucci suit, some diamond earrings, necklace, gold necklace. 
And then he stood there and watched the people that he loved, people that loved him and that were broken. And, and, and as Joshua is the heart of Joshua, threw stones at his daughter. And stones started hitting her in the head and her head started bleeding. And she was, she was crying and she was screaming and she's yelling. Because that sin doesn't affect just you. It doesn't affect just me. It affects the people that you love the most. It affects the people that are the closest to us. And so, you know, now we, we, we can look at Achan and, and see the irony and the, you know, the mistake that he made. And then it's almost like we, we can just go on continuing doing the same thing. Because we just, but, but hopefully there's some of it. That, that we can learn from. There's some of it that we can see that God will allow us as we, as we look to his word, that there is a reality that, 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 that there's sin in the camp and let's deal with it. And here's my promise. That, that if you'll give up the sin that's in your camp, if you'll give up the, the sin that's hidden under your tent, that in the battles to come, the spoils of war, God will give you and God will, will give to your account. And the blessings of life you will fully experience. Amen? Let's have the worship team come up. They're going to close us in a song, you guys. I'm going to invite you guys to come up and and, uh, receive communion. And I just want you guys to get alone with the Lord tonight for one song, okay? Um, Not talking about getting weird, but I'm talking about getting weird, okay? So get weird up in here. It's good. Just whatever it takes, get alone with the Lord. you know, it's, it's good to, to share communion if you came with a friend, with a spouse, and, and the two of you together want to share communion together, that's great. If you, wanna, if you came with a spouse or a friend and you want to do it alone, that's cool too. But, um, you know, and encourage you guys to get out that mirror. And, and it's not about, you know, none of this stuff and what somebody else needs to be doing or should be doing. It's about you looking at your own life and just an honest assessment. Humility is, is not, doesn't mean that um, we, we believe something about ourselves that's not true. You know, if I, if I, if I throw a 105-mile-an-hour fastball that can, that can paint the corners, and, 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 you know, humility doesn't say, oh, I'm a terrible pitcher. I just, I don't know, I throw the ball sometimes. Like, no, I, I can, I, it's just an honest assessment of myself, right? I, I don't want to brag about it and this and that, but I understand, yeah, I'm a good pitcher. And humility is not, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to lie about a part of your life, but humility is just an honest assessment of, of where you are and the things that are on it going on in your life. And so a, a bit of humility and an honest look at, you know, the, the, where you are in your life with the Lord. How's your relationship with the Lord? How's that conduit in your life? Um, is, is there ultimately the question for us tonight that's, um, that's the message and really that I want to focus on tonight is, is there sin in your camp? What's hidden under your tent? that God's been asking you to deal with. And, 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 and you can deal with that. And you can deal with it between you and the Lord. No need for a priest. No need for a pastor to confess your sins to. You bring it to God. You just get right with God. You say yes to Jesus in here tonight. And Jesus will change your life. Holy Spirit will work in your heart. If you want to talk to a brother, if you want to pray with somebody, if you want to talk to a pastor and have prayer, then that's, that's biblical and that's good. We can do that too. And I'm here for you. I'll be up here to pray for you guys to talk to you if somebody wants to talk. But you, you can get right with the Lord with or without me and, 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 and spend that song. Spend, send, spend this time as you take the, the, the bread. And so what we'll do is we'll hear very shortly. I'm going to invite you to come up and take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And as the worship team plays, um, two things. First of all, in remembrance of me, as Jesus said. So we want to remember the price that Jesus paid. We, we, we take the bread first. 
um, traditionally because that's the way that Jesus taught us to do it. And the bread represents the body of Jesus. There's little holes in the bread. As you see the, the matzos in a full sheet, it, and it reminds us of the holes that they put in Jesus' hands and in his feet and his side. There's lines in the matzos where the holes line up on the bread, and those lines represent us in communion with the stripes that they put upon Jesus' back. We take the bread and we, we break the bread because the, the Bible says that Jesus' body was broken for us and, and, the, and that by his stripes we are healed. The bread is um, without leaven, and so that's why it's bread that's a cracker because it has no leaven in it. And leaven in the Bible is a type of sin always. And so Jesus was without sin, so communion is taken with unleavened bread because leaven represents sin, and Jesus had no sin. And so we do it in remembrance of him. The cup is, is, is representative of the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. And so we, we, we take the, the, the cup next. And it's again, it's, it's a reminder for us that the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse a man of all sins, as John taught. That the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive you of all your sins. How, how bad are your sins? It doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than all your sins. Past, present, future, the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive your sins. And so we take the cup and it represents the blood of Jesus that forgives sin. And then we just spend a song, just just talking to him, listening, praying. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And then I'll invite you guys to come on up. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your, your this bread which represents your body broken for us. And Lord, we do it in remembrance of you. We thank you for this cup, which represents your blood that was shed for us. And Lord Jesus, we ask, Father, for um, Lord for this one song for each of us, God, to deal with the sin that's in our camp. God, to get right with you, to get saved if we need to get saved, to ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life, to say that we believe that, that Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth unto salvation and as as the philippian jailer came to paul and said what must i do to be saved and paul said believe on the lord jesus and you will be saved and so god we believe in you and we believe in jesus and we worship and celebrate you tonight and lord we want to get right with you we want to deal with sin in the camp because we want to move forward we want to experience blessing we don't want to make the mistake that Achan made we thank you that um we we see this story and you you recorded this story of for us in joshua as a reminder for us of the, the mistake of, of hiding sin in our lives, that there is no such thing as secret sin, Lord, that all sin is revealed unto you, and that eventually sin will out itself. And the Bible says that, that our sins will find us out. And it says that, that, that the wages of sin is death. And, and yet, Lord God, that, that you've come that we might have life and that more abundantly. And Jesus, you desire to give us abundant life. And so, God, help us to deal with sin and, and focus on and, and receive that abundance of blessing and life that Jesus offers in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.